Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Katy Perry, pop star, human rocket ship. That's the only way to describe her. As soon as she landed on the scene, she reached altitudes that many never do, and she just kept climbing to the point where us mere mortals on the ground just couldn't even see her anymore, let alone reach her. She was the kind of pop star that young kids aspire to be, where the world is at your feet, every opportunity that lands is the world's biggest one. The Super Bowl, stadium headlining tours, the biggest collaborations, number one albums every single time. This is the stuff you dream of when you're trying to prove something, if not to yourself, to the people who didn't believe in you in the first place. But where does it end? Ask Katy Perry between the years of 2008 and 2015, the answer would be it doesn't. But best laid plans and all that. Around 2015, things took a turn in her personal life and they subsequently were reflected in her creative life. And Katy Perry found herself on the receiving end of bad news. I mean, really bad news. The album didn't connect and she wasn't happy. Fast forward five years and according to her album title, cover art and the music that she's made, she's got her smile back, literally. So how did she get there? And what happened in the meantime whilst she was tucked away trying to put herself back together? That's what this conversation really is about. Katy Perry and I have never really crossed paths until the beginning of this year. We were introduced for the first time and had a meal. And over the course of that hour and a half, we hatched this idea of having our first conversation and it not necessarily being just about the music or about the fame, but really about the life that she's lived. And in particular, the last five years we were just talking about and how she got to this point right here. So we were true to that. And that's what this conversation has become. That's what you're going to dive into. Honest, open and candid. And as of the time of recording this, about to become a parent for the very first time, this is a really interesting time for me to get to know Katy Perry. Hopefully you enjoy it. Here's my first and hopefully not my last conversation with the enigmatic superstar, Katy Perry. Is this your first time doing um, one of your interview specialties with a 35-week pregnant pop star? I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Oh. Well, you know what? I think I'm the last person who has an interest in talking to you about your music alive who's yet to speak to you. But I may be late, but I'm right on time because, Katy Perry, this is a a super interesting time in your life to be releasing an album. There's so much to look forward to, and it's just around the corner. Stuff that everybody knows about, motherhood, parenthood, amazing. You've also done a huge amount of growth, and a lot of that is poured into this album. What's really interesting to me as a first observation listening to it is that this could have been a very different sounding album. When you address the kind of subject matter that you're addressing, personal and going through the work you're going through, often people tend to lean into a more somber kind of sound design, something that kind of resonates with that imagery. And yet you went full, all out, teenage dreams, stadium level (laughs) pop bangers. And I wonder whether or not that, which came first, the desire to communicate and express your personal thoughts or the desire to make big pop records on this album? Ooh, I got to tell you that the desire has always been to be a messenger, even from one of the boys. And the sonic experimentation and landscape follows that. I am primarily a lyricist and a melody-based person. I play guitar. I'm pretty good. I've written songs on it, but that's not the way that I write all my music. I hear something that's interesting. And I go, oh my gosh, this matches with this. You know, this beat matches with this idea. And they would be a great pairing. And that's how a song is born. So, and for me, it it continues to fall off this kind of, you know, trajectory of playing the business side of it. Of course, it's exciting and everybody wants success and you want good feedback from your art, but that all fell apart for me last record. And my expectations are very managed right now. Um, And to me, it continues just to be about speaking my truth. You know, 2008 to 2015 was a rocket ship. No question about it. No one can keep flying that high for that long or that much longer. And so disappointment is an inevitability to some degree. And even if you'd had a huge smash hit record, you might have found something to feel disappointed about because you just got to get the the yang. So I wonder how it affected, and you touched on this a bit, 
your relationship with the ambition that had driven you for so long? Because that's something I always recognized in you was that you wanted it. You desired that level of success. And then when it wasn't right there in front of you, what did it do to you? Well, they say um, when a ship is off by one degree, it can land like on a whole different continent. And that's what it felt like for me. It felt like I was going, 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 and I had a slight pivot. Like, you know, from the outside looking in, chain to the rhythm was awesome. I still love that. I love Bon Appetit, how it grows naturally. There was a lot of other kind of like noise about, okay, it's it's kind of time for Katy Perry to step off of the pedestal because the people put you there and the people can take you off. And it's up to them for when that happens, for sure. It, the people do have the power. It is up to you to give them that amount of power. So I think for me, in the genesis of my career, a lot of artists create from a place of pain or a place of um, not getting their needs met and trying to prove to their past reality that they are worth it, that they are good enough, that they will succeed and say, I told you so at some point. That is like a ambition and a drive and a thirst that is unmatchable. And matching that with, you know, some talent and some creativity, it's like you've got oh, something it's, hot. You know, it's it's f you juice. I was drinking f you juice for a long time. It's like anyone who ever said to you, you can't, you shouldn't, don't stop, wait. It's like, let me just have a drink of this. Because this no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, because this thing sets me off. And and when I'm when I'm going hundred miles an hour, then I can turn around and I can really prove that point. But proving that point doesn't get you there, does it, in the long run? Well, it does. It does for a while. For a it while. It served me in my twenties. And then yeah. the older you get, the more real life gets. And the harder it gets to hold on to the pain that helped you create. No longer is that pain helping you create songs. It's just tormenting your mind at that point, especially in your 30s when just life, you know, things start to ache. Your body starts to not function. Your metabolism goes south. You know, all things start to change in your 30s. But there's so much clarity that comes from it as well. I was getting pretty high off my own supply for a long time. And then it just didn't work after witness. And like I said, it just changed by a few degrees from the outside looking in. But it was seismic for me. And I realized, oh, my God, I have given so much power out for validation and acceptance and love. And now it's not coming back to me because I used to be able to, like, I used to really be able to, like, fix my, like, depression or my bouts of depression by just going, I'm going to write a freaking song or I'm going to do this or blah, blah, blah. I'm going to, you know, whatever. I'll leave you in the dust. You break up with me. I'll show you. Here's the number one. <laughs> you know, it didn't work anymore. So um, it didn't work and everything changed. I broke up with my boyfriend. My expectations weren't met. And the world didn't want to hear from me anymore at that moment. They were like, eh, that's enough. Thank you very much. You're, you know, you've, you've given us something and we're good. And I just like couldn't get out of bed for weeks and became clinically depressed and had to get on medication for the first time in my life. And I was so ashamed of it. I was like, I'm Katy Perry. I wrote Firework. I'm on medication. This is up. But isn't Catherine on medication? Katy Perry <laughs> is on hold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Katy Perry's on hold. Catherine was on medication. And yeah. for me, that was something that I had to do at that moment um, because my options were limited. But after I basically got the crutches I needed for my brain, I felt like I sprained my brain and my heart. So I got crutches for a second. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get on these crutches and then I'm going to go deeper and I'm going to figure out what the hell is underneath all of this and why do I feel this way and what, you know, why basically emotionally. And so I did. So the last two and a half years have been a psychological, spiritual, emotional journey 
of just pulling the petrified poison out of my body and rewiring my neuropathways. And that negative thought ticker that keeps coming says, you're, you're just lucky. You're just cute. You know, you're not really good. You're not very talented. Like, you're lucky. You're just lucky. Or you're not worth it. You're not good enough. You're getting old. You're fat. All that sh- that was just like, I figured out how to quiet it the f- down. It's not that it doesn't come up a little bit because the devil doesn't sleep. It always will. The devil does not sleep, but like... And, you know, I've done work too, and I and it happens to me, and, and it happens to everybody. And by the way, with regards to medication, I tried that too for a short time, and it didn't work for me because I, I bottomed out so hard. I just couldn't get to the clearing, so I had to just go a different route. You just, you just develop tools to learn how to deal with it, but the work pays off. Yes. You know, I'm grateful for the pain because it pushed me to the, towards the growth. And now I feel not like a thirsty, desperate pop star that's just trying to like hit a number. I feel like I've got more dimension. I have a baby on the way. I have a fiance. I love my nieces. I love my soon-to-be stepson. I love light. This gives me a chance to talk about that because a breakup and then a resolution shows a real desire from both parties to get back to what was initially established, right? That desire to spend time together, to build something together. Was the lack of growth the reason why it ended in the first place? Was it that you weren't recognizing what you needed to do? And he was, and you weren't there. <gasps> oh, exactly. It, right. It was that. I mean, to be completely honest, like we both have wonderful things about each other that we are attracted to each other about like he loves my organization, my aspiration, my strategy, my fearlessness. And I adore his sageness. I adore his Buddhahood. I adore that he wakes up every morning and chants for an hour. I adore his, you know, just trying to be a more evolved spiritual person. We're attracted to people with things that we could learn from, obviously. And so that's why I have been very attracted to him. But yes, he was, um, he's like, you know, a few years older than I am. And so he's been able to see life a little bit longer. And he was on a spiritual journey. And basically, he went to this program called the Hoffman Process. And he came back completely changed. And I was so excited for him to go, whatever, you know, because he's always doing a cleanse or a, you know. But this is not that, right? No, this is a deep. I know what this is. This is deep work, yeah. And he came back and he wasn't like falling for any of my bullshit anymore. And so I was like, well, I'm bored. And, you know, this isn't exciting anymore (laughs) because I'm used to more of a push and pull situation. And so I was like, it's fine. I have a record coming out. This is how I used to solve all of my problems. I'll just lean on that. And so the combination of losing someone that really saw me and losing all of this outside validation that I had built my house on just made me go, but obviously you know, we came back together and for us, and you can hear that like even in Champagne Problems, which is a song on the record, Yeah, you, you can hear that like, we're not flaunting like how in love we are. We have been through fucking hell. We have been down to the mat and come back up again so far. You know, and that's even what the song Witness was about. Like, if I lost it all today, would you stay? You know, could you go down with me to the mat and come back up. Like, I was testing that already. Like you knew, like you could see it. You knew what was <laughs> yes. coming. It's funny how the brain and the mind and the soul works like that, huh? Your higher self always knows. Your higher self always knows what, you know, you're unconsciously saying. Yeah. Now it's like, it, it's a relationship, but it's work. Dating is different than real relationships. I mean, you've got to make a choice every day to be in this relationship and to work hard on yourself with someone that's mirroring you so intensely. Correct. Like, he doesn't let me rest. He's not 
Katy Perry's biggest fan. He's here for Catherine Hudson. He's here for, yeah. he's here. For building. For building. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the work. That's what you do. That's the reward. You get to 20 years like me and my wife and it's like, holy sh. This is awesome. It's not a weekend love. No. You got to be in. It's in. And I was so used to dating and going, you know, to nice dinners and being courted. Yeah, you liked being fawned over because you had built a world for yourself where that was the validation upon which you identified your own self-worth, <laughs> which was if you're not screaming for me, applauding for me, telling me <laughs> I'm wonderful, paying me, or taking me out for dinner and telling me I'm gorgeous, then what the fuck is the point? Are you reading me right now? Are you? I'm turning red. You're reading me. <laughs> and this is the thing. And so you finally found someone who was like, I want to go for the real stuff. Yeah. What a great, what a great journey. I mean, I'm sorry it, it was hard. And I say that to anyone who is in my life who goes through the work because I've been through the work and the work continues and it is tough. I mean, you know, there are moments when it feels like you can't come out the other side. That's what really, really getting into the weeds on that stuff is. Even during this quarantine, it's a whole nother level of revelation. We do the work, but we're still busy pre-COVID. You know, we're still active. We're on the Distractions, go. Distractions, things to, things to focus on. And then all of a sudden... It's like lockdown. I saw it as like, okay, lockdown. I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. I mean, I've got a record coming. But also like red rum, like devil demon twins showed up to your door and go, hey, I'm your worst nightmare. Let's play. Face me. You can't run from me. You can't eat it away. You can't drink it away. You can't shop it away. You can't run away. So you've been there again in the last four months. Well, not not completely, but like I think we all collectively totally have felt some you know reckoning in our lives yeah like my therapist has said in the past there is no there there like the journey just continues like that's it the work is never done you can't turn back and you're never going to arrive <laughs> that's what you learn but that's great <laughs> because what would arriving really mean you arrived at a place that others considered to be the place, the spot, you got there. The Super Bowl, Glastonbury, number ones. Oh man, all of that. And that's just and that's just one arrival after another. But guess what? It didn't really fix anything. That's the thing. It right. didn't, fun as it is. No. And I wonder at this point, I've never really understood because we've never spoken about it. And I've only ever learned about you from afar through your music or what I've read. You know, as a fan, as someone who kind of picks things up second and third hand, I've never truly understood the relationship of all of this that you have with your parents. Because this is what I see, right? I see, <sighs> I see two pastors who raised their daughter in a very faith-based, regimental environment. But then I see you rebelling against that. But then I see you as someone who's still very faith-based. But then... You've been through failure that religion would consider to be a non-starter divorce, going into meds, all kinds of things. And then I see your parents, they look like rock stars, like your dad's rocking the <laughs> chains. And you so I'm just trying to work out what all this means to you when you're about to become a mother. All of what you've been through from success to reckoning to revival, what that means to your parents and how that relationship has changed over time. Well relationships with your parents change inevitably. It doesn't matter who you are, what amount of success you have or don't. It shifts. As your parents get older, you become a little bit more of the parent. And so that naturally was starting to happen. You know, my parents are in their 70s and, you know, they are, they lean on us in ways um, which is which is great. I guess I had to make a choice a while back. I had to agree to disagree with my parents or not have parents. When was that? In my 20s when I stopped trying to change their core belief system. I mean, I still have extremely healthy discourse with my family, with my mother especially. You know, we have great, healthy, calm discourse. And I get to see a perspective and she sees a perspective and maybe that changes something in both of us for the better. Um, there is definitely more centrist conversation, which I think 
in general is what is lacking on the right and the left. It's just so freaking noisy and no one will calmly step into the ring and say, okay, let's have some healthy discourse here. Let's like, you know, let's leave judgments aside. Let's just talk about this. And judgments and like intense emotions, we got to leave them outside right now. We just got to talk about the strategy of life. But my parents are unique. You know, my upbringing wasn't, I mean, for everyone else, I guess guess it felt like rebellion, but really it was just me creating an alternate reality because I didn't care for the reality that I grew up in that was very sheltered and, you know, one state of mind. And they did the best they could, and they've come a long way from where they were. They're, you know, a lot more evolved, a lot more loving, a lot more accepting. Yes, they still have their core beliefs, but there has been some more compassion installed on both sides. And like I said, I, I guess I just had had to choose to um, either have parents or just agree to disagree on some some really annoying belief systems. I mean, but we've gotten into the ring like we went to family therapy together. We did it as a unit and it was intense, you know, for a few of them. I guess I would say that, like, I respect that they have their own belief systems, but it does not make me feel like I have to believe that, you know? And I guess my relationship with God is not based on a denomination or a specific rule set coming from a the Bible or a belief system, it's really widespread. And, you know, a lot of like fundamental Christians are, hate that idea. They hate the idea of like a person that's spiritual or blah, blah, blah. But it is- Well, they want you to be on their team. It's really w- widespread. I would call myself, I would define myself as a seeker. I'm a complete seeker of anything faith-based, of God, of a lot of different religions. I am a seeker towards better human evolution. Well, the bad news is, is that there's competition for religion now, and I don't know what it's really doing to help us evolve. And that is this ever-increasing obsession with fame and this idea of what that means. I would imagine that sitting in Henson today, having made an album like this, which is so great and honest and big, and just accomplished and full Katy Perry. That I wonder kind of what you learned about fame, what it looks like now you've walked away. Because I don't feel that up until this album, you could have given me an answer that was you know, balanced with perspective because you were in it. Yeah, but I mean, I got, I finally got kicked down the stairs a bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is it to be in it? At one point, you were the most famous person on the planet. And by the way, your stock hasn't dropped. But in 2015, going out of that Super Bowl situation and getting ready to to release Witness, it was... Well, how about this? Even when you're the most famous person on the planet, coming from me, I mean, this is my own experience, I still didn't feel good enough. I still didn't feel like I was in the club. I still didn't feel like, you know, worth it. Like, I just was like... Uh, is this Hurley happening to me? And also like, why me? And not why me, but just like, I never really got to fully enjoy it because I never accepted it. You so know? how do you get on stage at the Super Bowl if it's not something that fits? <laughs> well, because, because the truth of the matter is, is like fame is a byproduct for me. It's not the reason why I started my career. It's not the reason why I write the songs. I've always said that. You can find it in interviews from a decade ago. It is something that comes after the fact, after the fact that I have spoken my truth, that I have become a messenger, that I have put these songs in there. The reason why I can still get up on that gold tiger is because I feel like, you know, some of these songs can bring hope. They can shift energy. Like, for me, music was so, and still still is, so healing. Like, when I was younger, listening to Ben Folds 5, you know, just crying and being so moved and 
like listening to Patty Griffin and Jonathan Brooke and Alanis Morissette and Garbage. And no doubt, that's like my foundation, right? Those songs spoke a language of my feelings that I didn't quite understand. They spoke for me. And that's what music can do. And especially when music is coming from like a really honest, vulnerable place, when it, it's coming from a pure place, it can speak to the listener. And often as human beings, we try to protect that experience ourselves from that experience because we're afraid to feel it. And what music does is it <laughs> leans you in. It wants you to lean in. It wants you to, it wants you to go there. So my question to you, Katie, is when you couldn't get out of bed, what were you listening to? Could music help you at that moment? Nothing. Nothing. Wow. Nothing. I turned it all off. I turned it all off because actually, I'll tell you one thing I was listening to. What? Bob Marley. Perfect. I was like, reggae, don't worry about a thing. That's all I need. It's also fight music. It's rebel music. So it's it stirs up that sense. I was listening to a lot of Bob Marley just around the house. If anything, if you put on any Iron and Wine or Bonnie Vare or anything sad, you know, <laughs> I was going to lose it. I was really, it was going to be like, <laughs> but to what to your point is, I, yes, music gives us the permission to feel. To go there. To go there. And it opens the floodgates. It like strikes a chord in your heart. It opens this door, door in your heart and it goes, ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's why, that's why I keep doing what I'm doing. It's just, I, I feel people have lost the plot. We are human doers, not human beings. And we're running from our feelings and we're running from facing what is really important for us to face. And I mean, I'm just doing that in my own life. And you can only lead by example. Especially now. All you can do very soon is lead by example. That is your number one job. <laughs> that is that is it. Because if the example's off, then the result's going to be right in front of you, staring at you. Going, you taught me. Microscope. You taught me. You taught me. You're the one. Was the desire to become a mother part of the reason why you knew you it was time to face a lot of this stuff? Because you can't take it with you. You just can't. It's really bad if you do. Listen, I actually like. I guess probably why I'm so late, or not late, but you know. 35 and having a child is because I, I I was like terrified of having a child. I was like, I, I don't know how to do this. You know, I, I, it'll break. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not very maternal. You know, I am in a way, but like when it comes to crying and sadness and like that kind of stuff, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so, yeah, I was like, man, I not only do I have to figure this out for myself, but I have to figure this out for my future in order to have to be able to enjoy this blessing. And so after doing a ton of work and continuing on in that journey, I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I was we were both conscious about it. We were both ready. It was no mistake. It was no accident. And we were ready. And the only thing I, I wasn't necessarily prepared for is uh COVID and American Revolution at the same time. Yeah. I'd never necessarily wanted to be heavily pregnant while putting a record out, but that's it. I do know that I want to put it out and then shift my energy a little bit. What does that mean? That means just like I, I, I'm excited for putting it out and, you know, contributing in a hopeful, positive way. That's what I think this record is, is, is a record full of hope. And then I want to focus on being a mom for just, you know, not forever, but I can't be on four-hour Zoom calls a day. That makes sense. Priorities shift immediately, and you sound like you've kind of got a grasp on that. She won't care that her mom is Katy Perry. She won't give off. <laughs> what about marriage? Marriage. Well, I mean, I have been before, and yeah. that was a lot more idyllic. From the outside looking in, that just looked like the perfect storm. <laughs> the perfect <laughs> storm of just like atoms bouncing off each other, like, you know, flaming rocket star, flaming rocket star, boom. And it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I played into that stereotype for sure. 
Um, for us, it's about partnership and it's about right now taking it one week at a time. Yep. We had a whole thing planned and that got canceled. And so, you know, we're just like looking forward to a healthy arrival at this point in time. It's like, it's funny. It's like, don't make too many plans this year because uh, it's a real go with the flow time. You know, Kamasi Washington said, said to me, I'm telling everybody, there was two things that I'm a real broken record on since we've gone into isolation. The first one, and I wish I could remember who quoted me on this, but said to me, as soon as the doors closed on the world, they said, mourn your plans and make new ones. And that kept me going for quite a while. And I liked that because it created closure and allowed for possibilities of new beginnings. Most recently, yeah. I've, I've been feeling a bit of melancholy again just because of the uncertainty of it all, right? And I spoke to Kamasi Washington the other day and he said, uh, it's going to be a great harvest. After we finished speaking, I just went and thought about that. And I thought what that means. And I thought what it, what it takes to get a harvest. Preparing the soil, planting the seeds, protecting the crops, ensuring that others don't actually chip away and destroy the crops before you can, you know, you can harvest. And when you get a great harvest, everybody eats. And I just thought that was a beautiful way to look at it. And I wonder kind of you've got so much to look forward to going forward. And this album is such an important part of your creative outlet. Whether you agree with that, you feel positive right now and amongst all of the change. Yeah, you know, I, I believe in duality in life, the yin, the yang, the option, the free will to see something in two ways. And it's up to us to have that perspective. And that's really what kind of the lyrics of Smile talk about yep. is choosing to start to see in a different way. And then that rewires your brain, which is the most important part of your whole body. Which you can do, by the way. And that is lesson number one when you think you can't get past it is the brain can be rewired and you can mold. It's malleable. It is. So I haven't said, oh, 2020 is the worst year because we're six, seven months into it. And also I have a child on the way and that's that's not a good spell to cast. Yeah, let's bookmark this in a different way. Yeah, let's bookmark this in the, hopefully in 20 years when I can look back, I can say, wow, 2020, it was challenging, but out of that challenge came the most beautiful thing in my life, right? And when you look at the album cover for Smile, you see me as a sad clown and then you see the smile kind of in this smile font. It's not me going, hey, smile, like, or shoving happiness down your throat, or you got to stay positive, you got to stay optimistic. It's melancholy. It's satire. It's melancholy. Yeah. I found my smile, but I'm not stupid enough to think that, you know, it's going to stay this way forever if I don't keep doing the work. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Smile is a real representation to me. The record is a representation that I got through it and overcame to the other side. I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to always be on this other side. I could, you know, fall backwards. The mind can trick you, right? But I, at least I have this touchstone now of a body of work that says, no, you did it once. You can do it again. It's possible. It's possible. I don't feel like Katy Perry of prism could have walked away. I feel like it was like, I'm going to stay on this road until some, until, like you said, the fans say, take a break. You just weren't going to stop. <laughs> could, could you walk away now? Could you walk away happy now? Could you disappear? Well, well, two things, two things. Disappearing is extreme. I love what I do. Is it though? To disappear into a private universe and raise your family and people have done it. I, I mean, sure, but I'm sure a lot of those people still feel very creative and 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 wish, you know, for an outlet. Um, for me, it's not about disappearing. It's about balance. It's about having some freaking balance in your life. It's about the art of saying no. It's about yes. I think prism is when the when like I started to really kind of come awake a little bit, you know, I, I was just a bit fantasy land, idealism, candy centric, creating a character that was just pure fun and pop and entertainment. But Prism was definitely like, ooh, there's something else here. 
Yeah. You know, so that's when the real investigation started. But it's not about walking away. And that's the thing is like, I don't want to ever choose between being a mom and doing what I love. That, you know, is so archaic. I think the f***ing reason why women get the responsibility of creating another life is because they can f***ing do it all in a pair of heels, bitch. So it's not about choosing. It's about balance. Bitch. Bitch. <laughs> and that, in turn, is why I wrote What Makes a Woman. Bitch. Yeah. Which is one of the high points on the record, which is why it ends the record, of course. Anybody who knows how albums get made know that song one and song 12, 10, whatever it is, are really important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's like album 101. <laughs> so for it to be at, at song number 12 and to, to bookmark the record, I feel it deserves some time. I feel it deserves a little shine in our conversation. This song, this really cool, interesting song. It feels like it, could, it kind of came out of Nashville in the future. I don't know. Or it's Nashville in the past. Or Nashville in the past. Maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe it's Westworld. <laughs> it's all simulation. Um, what makes a woman... Yeah, I, this song was created just as a an appreciation for women, and it was... A song that I was writing before I actually got pregnant and now is like taking on a deeper meaning. I'm like, whoa, women are able to create a life and like live and deal with all this stuff and give birth to a watermelon through a fucking tiny thing. Great. <laughs> this is wild. Yep. That's nature. Your body is amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you try and define a woman, it's really hard because they're such chameleons. They're so transformative. And I'm really speaking about myself, which is, and I've said this several times, I, I'm not one thing and I don't like to be put in a box even sonically or when I experiment with music, but I have wild ideas of like going to Oxford one day. And some people are like, <laughs> great, cool. I'm like, why not? I mean, I did get my GED, right? So there's there's some things that are, you know, people would have a comment on. But, you know, I have these out-of-the-box dreams still or ideas or dimensions that I want to touch in my life. And I, I feel like women are, are, are very chameleic in that way, that they are not just one thing. They are uh, so malleable and so elastic. And yet you've you've spent a, a majority of your adult life in an industry which has tried so hard to define female artists. It's still, it's it's still not good. And you know what I will say is some of it comes from the audience. They like to pit us against each other. I was going to say it, all, it more often than not. It ends up in some kind of very strange perceived dysfunction within the artist's room, where a female artist and a female artist end up. At, you know, at each other. And it just, I never know how that starts. And I could trace it back as a super fan. I never know how it starts. We never see uh, Niall Horan and Shawn Mendes fighting. Like, we never see it. I'd pay to, though. Yeah, that would be hot. Um, but we don't see it. You don't hear about that. You don't read about, like, Ed Sheeran, you know. Go on. Who's he fighting? <laughs> Go on. <laughs> yeah, who's who's Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber fighting? Right? <laughs> you never hear that about it. I would it. see. Wow. Who's going to win that? No, but hang on. Hold that thought because we're on a serious topic, but we can't sidestep that. I mean, Niall Horan and Sean Menes, it's obviously Niall. Like, Sean's got reach. He's tall, but Niall's Irish. He's going to beat the shit out of him. But when it comes to Ed <laughs> Sheeran and Justin Bieber, I don't know. We just don't hear about it. That's why it's an exciting thing to talk about now because you've never, ever heard about it. But, like, take any female performer and you hear about it every single day. Like, you read, you want to read Twitter comments? No. Somebody want to take my account and read my Twitter comments? No, you don't. <laughs> you don't because it's like, it's all about, like, who's better than who? Who's skinnier than who? Who sold more number ones than who? Who's doing better this year than who? Who made this much more? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, well... What about just like liking the music? 
Like, why is it about, why? Did you ever get swept up in it though? Did you ever find yourself, even just subconsciously because you're exposed to it all the time and you're, and you're facing all of this all the time, that the bloodlust catches? You're just like, ah! Oh! I am competitive, but I'm not competitive with women. Mm. No, 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 no. I'm competitive in that I want to succeed. I care about my art and I hope that it reaches. That's how I'm competitive. But like, I actually truly want every single female in the industry to feel supported and loved and feel like they can speak their truth and deliver their message no matter how many of us women are in the industry. I mean, time and time again, like, I want to hire w more women than men. I want to give them, I want to support them, you know, because I know what it feels like to, like, just be in a room of all of my my female peers and go, do you like me? I really want to like you. I want to talk to you. I know we're going through the same exact thing. Like, we're literally going through the same exact thing. Can't we talk about this? Yeah. There's only five other people in the world that are going through this, and you're in the same room. Can we please just have some wine and talk about how hard this is? Please. You know? And, like, that that would have been amazing. I, I think we're more there than we were at five years ago. I think there's been, you know, an evolution, but there has to continue to be. I think amongst peers, there's more understanding and compassion and love, but it has to definitely also be in in the listeners and the fans, the, you know, the, the real fans. They also have to not play the petty game with us. I agree. We talked a bit about this when we first met. It was the first kind of common ground we landed on really early on, which was this idea of um, trying to, to encourage artists to acknowledge the stresses, strains, and demands that are placed on artists now versus before. And, you, and you've seen this transition yourself. As fans, we have every availability to you. We have this insatiable desire and appetite for quote-unquote content. We have all of the tools and platforms for you to feed me, feed me. Dopamine, 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 dopamine. Yeah. And by the way, I'm talking about myself here. I'm not throwing judgment at any fans out there. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I'm a pop culture lover. I love it. I lust. So I'm like, if you want my attention and you don't want A, if you want to be A and not B, C, D, E or whatever, F or G, then you've got to keep me pumped up. And what I've been noticing in, in recent conversations that I've been having, and it's been pretty evident in the conversations, the way they've come out, is that artists are tired and that it's exhausting and the demands are exhausting and that it doesn't feed the soul. It just feeds the timeline. And we spoke about this and I know that you're very, you feel the same way. And there's got to be a conversation. We have to use this kind of experience to have this conversation so that we can educate each other as to what the actual outcome is and how dangerous it can be because it leads to coping mechanisms which are more easily available than ever before right over the fucking counter and then we lose good people because they can't handle the, the stress. We lose good people. You lose the artist. I see artists out there that I've known for, you know, a decade. They're not there anymore. They're not present anymore. They're not there. And it's sad. It's sad that they felt like they had no choice. And obviously, we all have a choice and it's up to us to do the changing. I just hope one day there is somewhere artists can go or a community or we can just shift, you know, our, our perspective a little bit as a whole in general. But um, it's not, for me, I'm not tired. It's sad. I'm not tired, it's sad. Yes, it's sad to see when, you know, artists are on a cocktail of medications and they're just not like they were. It's sad that, like, artists OD. It's sad that you don't see artists becoming grandmas and grandpas because they shoot themselves in the head. It's sad. Why is that fucking glorified? Why is that rock and roll? Why is that cool? That's not cool. That's someone's brother. That's someone's sister. That's someone's mom. That's someone's dad. That's someone's niece or nephew. That is someone's life. It's not part of the trade. It doesn't come along with the territory. And artists that think that they, they have to stay in pain in order to be interesting and cool and creative, 
are lying to themselves. And I lied to myself for a really long time. I was like, I don't want to face my demons because what if I'm not like, I don't have anything to say afterwards. I get scared to go to therapy because, you know, all of a sudden I don't feel as intensely, you know? I think the stigma of mental health and the conversation has to be broad. The stigma has to be taken off. I think media has to have some accountability. I don't know if they ever will, but what I do believe is I believe the fans, the fans will have it before the media has it. But like I said earlier in this conversation, the people have the power. So they can make the change. They control the media. What happened first, the music or the music industry? The music, then the industry was born out of it. Remember, the people have the power. So it's up to us to do our individual work. I mean, this would have been an amazing conversation even without music, because I think that there's so many touch points here that are gonna be useful and helpful for people who sometimes feel like they, that we don't measure up in everyday life, regardless of the kind of crowds you performed in front of or the numbers of stats or rewards or any of that stuff. Everybody goes through this to some degree. Everybody's trying to fill a hole. I think you get to a certain point in your 30s and you're like, okay, the Beatles, they weren't just high. It's really about love. I'm a fan of artists. If I can sit here at 46 years old and have a, a deeper conversation about what it takes, then I'm wasting my opportunity, wasting all of this stuff. I'm not here to make noise. You made a shit ton of noise, though, <laughs> for a while. Yeah. I mean, that was a noisy time, a noisy time. Okay, if I could be here, I, if I could have been there, then I would have. Okay. Can you frame that in a different way so we can understand it a little bit better? I was fucking hanging on for dear life. It was so new. It was so wild. It was so shiny. It was so hot. I was like, whoa, just buckle up. This ride is intense. Go with the flow in a whole different other go with the flow way. Or else you're just going to fall off and, and <laughs> disintegrate. It feels like another lifetime. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, not just for you, but I just keep thinking about MTV Awards, you know, <laughs> fast-paced marriages, Super Bowls, fireworks, bam, bam, bam. It just feels like another <laughs> life, doesn't it? Yeah. And and thankfully, we're living three times our lifespan. So hopefully I'm in my second interval now. You want a long ride. I'm with you. I want to be a grandma. Well, you're about to be a mom. You're already a step mom. <laughs> So you want to go for the trilogy, right? That's it. Like yeah, your boy. friend Sia, like your friend Sia, to quote the great philosopher Drake, she went zero to 100 real quick. She went from <laughs> straight into motherhood and straight into grandmotherhood like that. We had a great conversation about that the other day. I know she loves you so much. and um, She helped me through a lot. Talk about like, you know, camaraderie against uh, amongst peers. From 2017 to 2019, I would just FaceTime her and cry. And she would get it, you know? She took me to meetings. She helped me along my way. We both have done the Hoffman process. You know, she's she's on the journey as well. Like, and you can tell, you can hear that evolution in her music. You really can. And we have a lot of love and respect for her, each other. But she's she's actually helped a lot of people in the industry. She's one of my faves. So I guess that when we come out the other side and, and, we, and the harvest begins to grow, there'll be a, there, there must be a real desire, as you say, to go and perform and to bring these songs to life. But it will be such a different experience than it was before in many respects because you'll be so much more aware. And For me, it's really about like layers here. Like if you're a listener of my music, you can enjoy it on really a, a kind of a, a surface space. But if you want to go deeper, there's levels to this. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, like, just like Copacabana. You listen to that song? Copa, Copacabana. Yeah, I mean, they, they give it to you, with, they give you a copy at birth. I mean, it's like. Okay. Well, you think that song is just about like, you know, going to the Copacabana in Brazil, you know? It's so, it's about vacation. Listen to the lyrics. It's about a fucking murder. You don't know that until you read the line sheet of, of the lyrics. Like, is some crazy deep stuff in there, you know? Yeah, that's a trippy-ass song. <laughs> yeah, it's not just about checking into a, a nice hotel in Brazil. But, you know, I mean, for me, like, I, like, you listen to something like Smile, and it's energetic, and it's hopeful, and it's three minutes long, and it's like, it's a bit funky. But if you read the lyric sheet, it's a journey. 
And what about teary eyes? I get a little bit of that in teary eyes as well. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, teary eyes is like a European dance moment, you know, very... Which you're really good at, by the way. I mean, you've stealth clocked up a pretty sick catalog of European club bangers over the course of your career. <laughs> Look, I've always looked up to someone like Robin, right, who knows how to cry in the club just in the best way all the time. It's this melancholy approach to, you know, having a good time. I I guess maybe I relate to it so much because anytime I'm in a social circumstance or out in a club or whatever, I'm like, I'm feeling melancholy. I'm thinking about the love I've lost or the one that I love now or you know, the good and the bad. It's like, I, I definitely have social anxiety when, I, when I'm when i amongst a lot of people. Me too. But I, it's not like I'm like, woo, Bifa or Burning Man. I'm just like, I go inwards when, I, when I'm around a lot of social situations. So that's how teary eyes is for me. It's just like, you have to push yourself to, you know, cry in the club. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's my favorite. Jam and Lewis. Jam and Lewis. I'm dancing at 140 beats per minute and I'm bawling my eyes out. Give me that melancholy melancholy bangers. Yeah. 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 Katie, that's our time. I've really enjoyed it. Me too. I don't remember exactly what I said, but that's a good thing. It was it was it was it was a release. It was a that means that you didn't come with any preparation and kind of neither did I. I just I just knew that we were going to uh, I mean, apart from listening to the album, obviously, and appreciating. I just, you know, I wanted to come in there and I just wanted to kind of exist in the moment and work out where we were going to go. And I knew we'd have enough to talk about a lot to talk about. And um, and there's still more. So until next time, stay well. I'm sure that I won't get a chance to see you before the big day. So, you know, good luck. And uh, congratulations in advance. The one and only Katy Perry chopping it up and keeping it honest right here on Apple Podcasts with me, Zane. I really appreciated her time and the fact that there really wasn't any subject that we couldn't broach and discuss in an honest and human way. The album is a big pop album. Do not get it twisted. It is definitely a big Katy Perry record, but the subject matter and the songs are something different. You'll enjoy it if you're a fan, and if not, you just might become one. All right, thanks for subscribing if you have. If you have not, do it. And we'll be back again very soon with a brand new conversation right here on the Zane Lowe interview series. And I can tell you right now, don't miss that one because it's f***ing awesome.